I'm Jordan Ferguson. And I'm Kate McKinnon. And you are listening to the Geek Down Podcast. And welcome to the Geek Down Podcast, the show where two friends and fellow nerds sit in front of these microphones to try and figure out where their fandoms intersect. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. My name is Jordan Ferguson. And I'm here in person. Surprise! She is. Yeah. Kate, what episode is this? Oh, God. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to take a stab in the dark. Um, 200 and... No. Um, 173. Are we not at 200 episodes yet? That's a two. So we're at oh, 273. 273. You have terrible writing. Wow. <laughs> wow. I'm going to take over. <laughs> I'm going to rip the wheel out of her hand now because this is already going off the rails, friends. This is episode 273 of the Geek Down Podcast. If you'd like to listen to any of our other episodes, go wherever you get your audio content. Spotify, SoundCloud, Google, Apple, or Stitcher. Give us a little rate, review, follow, subscribe. Push us up the algo so other people can find the show. Helps us out greatly. We've got, got, a new, got a new follower, new subscriber Ooh. on Spotify. And now that subscriber will never miss an episode because they will be brought to you on the back of a rainbow main alicorn named Philip by your mans. Chauncey Fostelahis III, Geek Down Internet Elf. Oh my God, girl. He just loves to deliver those episodes straight into your device. He's feeling it. He's feeling this warmer weather. Sort of. It's a, li- it's a little better. It, okay, so but this is the problem. This is the problem with February and March in at least southern Ontario, is that you think maybe spring's come. <laughs> maybe spring's come early. You know, it's a little sunnier. The snow melts a little bit, uh-huh. and you're like, you know what? Maybe I don't need my hat and gloves and my giant puffy winter coat and my winter boots. And then. And then there's a cackling. Surprise, motherfucker. And Mother Earth is like, you're an idiot. And then she makes the temperatures minus 20 for like three weeks and a ton of snow. Apparently another 20 centimeters coming by the end of the month. Yeah. Huzzah. Friends, this is the last time I'm going to have this discussion. I just want you to know. My building recently decided to, I don't know, I guess save money. We had another snowfall. Substantial snowfall here in Toronto recently, and my building decided to maybe save a little money. And when they cleared the walkway, they did not use salt on the sidewalk, and they did not use de-icer on the sidewalk and steps. They used sand, which is a thing I'm familiar with. I know in uh, in, the, in the West, in the Canadian West, they do this a lot because they do not have access to the salt deposits like we do in Ontario. Salt's a little harder to come by, so they use sand, which means wet sand <laughs> is all over the front of my building, the hallways, until very recently, this apartment. <laughs> and do you know why this happened? Because we had snow. Do you know when this wouldn't have happened? When? If it was just cold <laughs> with no fucking snow on the ground. Friends, uh-huh. I'm sick of having this discussion with y'all. But if you want to argue with me about it, head on over to twitter.com slash geekdownpod and be wrong because you are wrong. It's okay. You can be wrong with me on our side of the fence where we don't slip and fall and mm, die. So, so pretty. And, yeah, the snow covers all the dirt. The winter, the topeness. It ain't covering anything around here. They're just making it more dirt because they throw dirt on top of it. Well, in this case, yes. Fucking Toronto. Friends, if you want to... Uh... <laughs> 
to donate to a fund that I can give my landlords. So we can buy de-icer again. <laughs> Head on over to ko-fi.com slash geekdownpod. Hey, you know what you could do with the wet sand? Hmm. You could pretend that it is from come from the beach or going away somewhere warm. <laughs> and the sand guardian, guardian of the sand. Poseidon quivers before him. Fuck off. Uh, more Vine hits for you. We will always, always love you. Kate. Yeah. Good to see you. Thanks. Good to see you too. Been a hot minute. Kate's got a heart out today, so we're going to try to keep it a little light and tight. Kate, where are you going after we record today? Um, I am going to see the interactive Van Gogh um, exhibition. There's a bunch of them, actually. Um, there's one actually in Hamilton. Mm. Uh, we came to the good one in Toronto. <laughs> Shots fired! Shots fired! Um, Shots yeah, I got beef. <laughs> um, you bought a house there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Quit, quit picking fights with your municipality. <laughs> They've heard, received so many letters from me. <laughs> Lord. I'm like, oh, God. Her again. <laughs> the the, the uh, millennial who, or no, the sorry, the uh, the old lady who was actually a millennial. <laughs> Showing uh, up at all the alderman hearings. <laughs> just wait, you just wait until she can start hitting up those in-person city council meetings. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. Lord. What is this exhibit? So uh, apparently it uses a lot of like projections and it, it projects and does movement of uh, a lot of Van Gogh's pieces. Um, I haven't looked at it a ton. I know a lot of people have gone to it and said it was absolutely amazing, uh, but I haven't looked into it uh, a ton. It's the same reason why I usually now don't uh, go beyond the like the first trailer of a movie because I would like to actually experience the thing as opposed to knowing what happens in the entire movie. But Kate, yeah, you got to do it for the gram and you ain't got no gram. Yeah, I know. How are you going to do it then? It's free. It's free. It's freedom. I do it for the grandma and me. I'm trying here. Okay. I don't even have a, you know what? I don't even have have a drop for that. You know what this is? You know what this is? Mm. This is when I go out with for food with people and they prevent me from eating so they can take a picture of my food. I will slap the phone out of your hands. Into your face even. Do not prevent me from eating food because you want to take a picture of it. That's what this is. How is it preventing you from Listen, I'm not going I'm not caping up for uh food <laughs> photography Instagram food photography. But generally, the person the person's not climbing over you to take a photo of your food. Someone stopped me once from eating because they wanted to take a picture of my plate as well. What a cool guy you are! Whole minutes where I wasn't stuffing my face <laughs> with pancakes. Precious, precious minutes. Yo, I had a moment of inspiration at the No Frills yeah. the other day. Yeah. Generally, my my listen. I have three days off right now. It's fucking glorious. But generally. I have specific breakfasts. Yeah. Generally, breakfast is uh, oatmeal after I get to work. Right. That's that's breakfast. I, I love that breakfast. That's I've breakfast had... normally. Yes. Cup of coffee and, and packs of oatmeal when I get to work. When you're at home, yeah. You do a little eggs and sweet potato. Mm-hmm. Do a little like avocado toast. You know, mm-hmm. like, the more options, the more time labor intensive options. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to have the same thing every day while I'm off. How can I, how can I zazz up? Zhuzh. How can I zazz up or zhuzh? Zhuzh up breakfast. The breakfast offerings. I was down the uh, the cereal aisle at the No Frills here in Parkdale. I had a moment of inspiration, Kate. 
And I said, pancakes. I haven't made pancakes in years. Yeah. Quickly realized why. I am not good <laughs> at eyeing up how much pancake batter is needed <laughs> for a sufficient number of pancakes. Too much or too little? Too much. I always make too much. Oh, yeah. But then you just make extra pancakes and you have them later. Later. <laughs> Uh, did you just you're, eat like you're 10 fun. pancakes? You're funny. It wasn't 10. Okay. It was probably like six <laughs> if you portioned them out. And then I get mad that it's taking too long. <laughs> I just end up making giant pancakes. I like making tiny baby pancakes. They just delight me. You know, I started good with like right, reasonably sized pancakes. I'm like, this is going awesome. I'm like, I have so much left and I'm hungry and these are going to get cold. Duh, giant pancake. I'm just pouring <laughs> off the batter. <laughs> But anyway, enough pancake talk. Friends, we actually have something resembling news today. A couple items. Kate doesn't know what it is yet, but... No. no um, the old Pork Skin Classic was last weekend. Yes, the Super Bowl. Anything, uh, any of the offerings there catch your eye? No. <laughs> not even not even the sound of Patrick Stewart's voice in the, in the Doctor Strange trailer? No. Caitlin. Yeah. They're out there eating themselves. Yeah, I know. I, I just... It's I, not going to be the X-Men X-Men. It's going to be fucking one, like, Earth-19 Professor Xavier to be, like, the Illuminati. Like, <laughs> you think you're shitting yourself now. You'll be shitting yourself when, when uh, Downey comes back for a cameo. So never forget, the Illuminati is Professor X, Reed Richards, Tony Stark, <sighs> Namor. He was in there at once. I can't remember who else was in the Illuminati. Black Bolt, he was in there. I don't know who they're going to do, this but... Is, this is, like, really deep lore, and I'm just like... Oh, yeah. Cool. Yo, you thought you thought the multiversal implications of No Way Home was going to have these nerds heading for YouTube. Oof. I still haven't seen it. No Way Home, by the way. What? Yeah. It's not free yet. It's not free. <laughs> Pay for it. This is me saying this. No. Someone cute. She's speaking for herself right now. I have nothing. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing to do with this. I know it's excellent. And yes, has it been difficult avoiding all kinds of spoilers? Absolutely. But so how have you how have you not just heard everything already? It's because I like I half check out of things. <laughs> I'm like I'm not on a lot of news. If I'm looking for news, I look for something specifically. I don't go to be like, tell me about this film. Like I I, I told you, I'm out of the take economy entirely. <laughs> I'm like, you go have your takes over there. Um. So yeah, I'm just. I am extricating myself mm. from nerd news because as I have railed against many a time, there's no news this now. Is be, this is going to be such a super topical podcast going forward, y'all. Thanks, thanks for hanging. <laughs> hey, one we of the co-hosts co is like, mm, you know what? No more news. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do more astronomy minutes. You don't know. Oh, buddy. Astronomy corner. Here I come. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's coming out in May. Whatever. It looks fun, I guess. I like it. Give Sam Raimi some, some stuff to do. Yeah. That's always fun. Sam Raimi deserves deserves another shot in the old in the old MCU. Otherwise I generally don't care. America Chavez is in it, so that's dope. Oh. Oh, yes. That's very exciting. Did not know that? No. Latinx LBGTQ, uh character of color who can punch star shaped holes in reality. Love it. Yeah. Uh, the other interesting thing that is flo floating around, Kate. Yeah. You ready for some, some prime, prime fanboy fuckery? <gasps> yes, always. It's been a while. This is a very unique 
bit of fanboy fuckery. Okay. It involves the uh, the Rings of Power. Oh. The Amazon-backed Lord of the Rings show, which has uh, revealed a few more details. We got our Vanity Fair first look photos, cast photos. Right. And we also had a one-minute trailer uh, that aired during the Super Bowl, which showed basically nothing, um, as these often do. But it did show some things. Okay. And a one-minute trailer that aired during the Super Bowl, which is now on YouTube. And the interesting thing about that, which I'd heard about before, and I went, I went looking for I went looking for the uh, great – who remembers Know Your Meme, y'all? Grandpa had to go to Know Your Meme today, try to get, some, uh, try to get some insight into this. Because on the comments of the Rings of Power teaser trailer is a quote. Okay. And it's just repeated over and over again. By multiple users in like every language under the sun. The quote is a paraphrased Tolkien quote that says evil cannot create anything new. They can only corrupt and ruin what good forces have invented or made. Okay. It's that phrase again and again and again. I cannot tell who organized this or who decided that this is the thing that should happen. Right. But all down the comment thread of this in Russian, Portuguese, Spanish. Polish, every language, every language has this phrase under the Amazon Lord of the Rings. Trailer. Right. And you say to yourself, well, what are they mad about? <laughs> what are they? What are they mad about? Uh, they seem to be mad about two things. Okay. Which is probably really three things. Yeah. Beardless dwarves. Okay. And short haired elves. Okay. Related. Yeah. Elves of color. Aha. Uh-huh. Never forget. Right. Never forget. There will be a little racism in there. Is it all racism? Maybe not. It's weird either way. Yeah. This is a hill to die on. This is a hill to spam with the organizational force of like, I don't even know. So strange. To spam these comments. Kate, I don't know how deep of a scholar you are, but apparently it's the, uh, it's the, it's the shots of dwarven women without beards. Right. They are mad about this. Yes. They are mad about this and they are mad about short haired elves because Tolkien said yeah. it's in the lore, dwarven women, beards. Yeah. And no elves with short hair. Yeah. I don't know if that <laughs> I don't know if that was actually written anywhere. I mean, we've gone if you through... swung if you swung by a salon in Lothlorien, I don't remember, <laughs> but we so uh senior correspondent Chris um knows of course the lore much better than I do, but we have slowly been going through um the Cimmerillion. Woo! Now, has he been reading it to me to put me to sleep sometimes? Yes he has. Oh, he definitely has. Um have I fallen asleep during basically all of the first half? Yes I did. That is from what I gather, yeah. I will never read it, but from what I gather that's the that's the litmus test. If you're going to devote yourself to reading the Cimmerillion, yeah. you are making a choice about the type of person you want to be <laughs> well, and how you're going to move through the world. I would say, actually, it's really fascinating because it is Tolkien's idea of like how this world was formed. Mm. It's the story of God and angels. Basically, Damn, for the first son. large part of it. And then there's all this stuff with elves. And there's just, it's a, basically the movements of the elves through the world and like how this thing happened and how that thing happened and what the story is about this. And he's creating this 
this culture, right? He's basically, this is his version of playing, um, what's that game where you create an empire? Civilization? Yeah. <laughs> but before he had cool, he'd be a cool video game nerd if he had them, but he didn't. Well, he's, so. du- he's dungeon mastering. He's just... Yeah. He's making this whole world up, and this is what Cimmerillion is. And there is one story, I'm going to say it's like halfway through, that's super interesting. And I actually couldn't sleep because I needed to know what happened. Um, So half of Cimmerillion so far is really boring, and half of it is just like lore and some interesting things. Um, I don't know... Other than Tolkien's sort of, like, devotion to faith and Christianity and all of that, I don't actually really know much about his views on, like, taking stories and making them your own, Mm -hmm. which is part of the discussion, I would think. Um, Why don't we just wait and see if it's any good? Caitlin. Yeah. I can't do that, right? You fool. I know. Um, yes, as according to, uh, you know, great Oracle, know your following the announcement of the premiere cast of the series and the first look photos in early February, 2022, a viral debate began with some online groups and fans stating that the elves and dwarves and Tolkien's universe should not be diverse, particularly the elves who are described as fair skinned in the book, the Cimmerillion, the official boasts posts on Twitter, YouTube, and other platforms received replies in which users argued against the introduction of non-white actors for characters playing elves and dwarves. The comments, in turn, sparked discussions on Twitter and Reddit, with users commenting on the issue with large numbers. Back to that thing where it feels racist. I mean, say what you want about, okay, make an argument about dwarves and lady dwarves <laughs> eating beards. Great, okay. That's like a whole other conversation. This conversation about Okay, there's another conversation as well about when it was written, okay? Do you think Tolkien knew a black person? Do you think Tolkien That's, had seen a black person? This is where I'm this is where my brain is going. I don't want to say that Tolkien is racist because I don't know any of that background. Um but racist in so much as like a white guy who was born at a certain time. Yeah, maybe his life England. experience was a little myopic. Yeah. Like, I, I believe, would he have written the stories in a much different way if he was a writer today? Probably. Do people of color deserve to see themselves in these stories? Absolutely. Is it really that big of a deal? No, it's not. There is the crux. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. I would love to see some ladies with facial hair. Like, just go for <laughs> it. Um, but also, eh, cute dwarf ladies also, it's, it's great. You know? Like, I just... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, one line about the elves being... F- <laughs> one line about elves being fair-skinned in one book... Is the hill you want to die on that people of color should be prohibited and excluded from being cast in this show? It's a a reach, my dude. Lord of the Rings doesn't belong to you. It belongs to anybody who reads it and anybody who sees themselves in the story and anybody who wants to put themselves in the story. So suck it. What she said. Uh, Last bit of news and then we can move on to updates, I guess. Kate, yeah. you'll be delighted to know, as I'm sure I'm delighted to hear, Peacemaker 2 confirmed. 
Excellent. For HBO Max. That's not a surprise, but excellent. You finished the season, I, I assume? I did. It's been a 10 all this way through, pending the conclusion of the season. And now that you've seen the finale, mm-hmm. what are we saying? It's a 9. It's pretty good. It did drop. Yeah, did I did drop in the in the end. I one felt, one point. I felt some of the banter in the last couple of episodes could could have been tightened up a little bit. Yeah, the last episode, the finale did not pop to me like a lot of the other episodes did. That yeah. could have been just for all the you know, plot mechanics they had to do to get through the finale. Yeah. Um. Did I don't know what it was trying to say with the finale? Did say something. And that was the. Other, that's also <laughs> why it's a nine. Like him seeing his dad's ghost. And like I, th- you're, not, you're not here for racist, racist Obi Wan. No, I'm not here <laughs> accompanying for him Obi-Wan. for the next season. Um, I feel like yes, he had to work through that some more, and that could have been left till second season. Um, I think just having him end on a place where he was like on the porch and maybe like got a message from the group or whatever it was, I think that would have been a better ending. But I'm also not a, a writer, so what do I know? Um, but yeah, it definitely, it was good. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It it stayed um, consistent to itself. Um, I just felt like a, some of the writing could have been shored up a little bit. Uh, and fun details the from uh, interviews with uh, James Gunn in Deadline and Variety that I stumbled onto uh, just in over the course of the week. The cameos that everyone latched on to immediately. Yeah. Um, number one, Batman and Cyborg were not there for reasons. Like specifically, he was told yeah. not to include them for whatever reason. And uh, Marvel filmed them. Because ah. he's actively working on, he's been actively working on Guardians 3 at the same time. Yeah. And given the timing of everything. They filmed that on the Guardian set. And I guess the guy who plays Mern is going to be in Guardians 3. Yep. And they DC filmed his screens, his screen test on the set of Peacemaker. So Amazing. It was like Marvel kind of old, Otis one or right. Oda one. So listen, it ain't got to be a war, y'all. Everybody's just getting along. Yeah. Everybody's getting along, trying to make your good, your good content. Uh, yeah. In addition to the second season of Peacemaker, um, Gunn has apparently very much fallen in love with what the state of TV production is right. these days. And um, we know he has alluded to another Suicide Squad spinoff in addition to the uh, second season of Peacemaker. Um, he seems game for to do Marvel shit, too. So, yeah. like, he's just really digging how TV runs now, I yeah. guess, and the opportunities it gives him from a storytelling perspective. So he may not be as closely involved with some of these other things as he has been on Peacemaker. Seems like Peacemaker is the first love. Like if he's doing, if he's doing, if he's going to do TV, if he's going to be actively involved on writing and directing mm-hmm. to that degree, Peacemaker is going to get that attention. He may write, just write other stuff or just direct other stuff, but yeah. Well, well here with the hot goss, the hot goss, not only did he fall in love with the process on Peacemaker, he also fell in love with one of the actors, and now they're engaged. Oh, who do you fall in love with? That blonde lady. Oh, yeah, good for them. Yeah, good for them. Thank you guys. Um, I was really amped. So the gag reel, not posted by HBO, but the gag reel is on YouTube now. Mm-hmm. And he also mentioned that the Ezra Miller outtakes were like some of the hardest things he's ever laughed at in his life. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. He kept calling her <laughs> the little blonde boy. Like, <laughs> 
um, among other things. Those are not out yet. They will probably, I hope they're <laughs> released at some point. They sound amazing. But if you had not checked out Peacemaker, if you were uh, reluctant to check it out, or if you didn't think it was going to be that dope, it's definitely been, it's it's February, but it's been one of the better things uh, I've seen this year. So yeah, I think we both would concur that not for everybody. We said that when we talked about it on the episode. Um, but if you think it might be for you, it's probably for you. Yeah. And you will enjoy it. Kate. Yeah. What else have you been getting into? Um, okay. So no surprise to anyone. I continue watching, uh, sister Boniface. <laughs> um, but there is a problem. What a twist. The problem is that the mysteries are too easy. Oh, no. And I know exactly who did it from oh, the very beginning. Oh, no. Even Chris knew at one point. <laughs> he was like, is that is that lady? And it was that lady. He got it right. Um, <laughs> shots. Shots to senior correspondent. <laughs> hey, no. I just... He, usually, I'm the one who's just like, oh, like, I figured it out. And he's always impressed. But he, like, just called it. He was just like, it's that lady. <laughs> um... Uh, so yeah, no, no shots, but shots, I guess. Um, so I was like, was Father Brown like that? I don't remember Father Brown like being that, like that. So I watched season nine of Father Brown, which is the most recent season. Um, no, Father Brown did this thing where he, they always made it, it could be like three different people. Mm. Like you weren't sure. Um, so maybe Sister Boniface has just not found their, their groove yet. Um, I'm hoping they do. Um, because it is delightful and she is so wonderful and I just want to give her a big hug. Um, but yeah, uh, talked about Peacemaker, of course. Um, I can, we continue to, uh, hate watch Vox Machina, Mm. um, or I'm sorry, Vox Machina. I apologize. Every time somebody at Major Canadian Retailer brings it up, somebody would be like, oh, I got to finish watching Vox Machina. I'm just like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. Well, that's really good of you. Uh, here, uh, this is my friend Caitlin. She's going to yell at you <laughs> through the phone. Because you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, you're trash. Um, and, you know, it was basically senior correspondent and I yelling at the television. <laughs> um, but did we finish it? Yes. Was it bad? Yes. It was super tropey. Um, they had to rush a lot of stuff, I guess, because they're trying to just really cram things in there. I think it was the wrong thing to focus on. I mean, yeah. I don't like... True. I don't like any of the, like, watch people play D&D things. Um, But this in particular made me frustrated for many reasons. If you're interested to know why, uh, please, I guess, put something up on Twitter and then Jordan will tell me about it. (laughs) You want to hear her go in on Vox Machina? I'll put up a poll. Yeah. Um, I also, I haven't continued watching Gilded Age, but um, I'm glad it's getting in, in, in the credit it deserves right now. Um, and there was an amazing scene in, I think it was episode three or four, where basically someone like tries to, that they want the husband to cheat on his wife, and he just basically tears her apart and tells her to get out of his bedroom <laughs> and i was like yes yay go man and lo- actually in love with his wife unlike every other period drama <laughs> um and finally i'm very excited about this i have finished a book a book a book um son of a trickster 
Uh, yes. yes, I I believe I mentioned it. I took a break from reading it for a bit. Um, it is by Eden Robinson. Robinson, that's right. Um, look at you. <laughs> um, and it was a really interesting read. It was one of those books that is not um, what's the word for it? Um, it's it is a fantasy book, but there, the fantastical is way later in the book. The first, I'm going to say like three quarters of the book, is basically setting up the main character, the world, not the fantastical world, just the world he lives in. It's a kid who lives on the west coast of Canada in British Columbia. Um, not in the city, though. A small town. Um, you know, his... Mom is an addict. He's basically an addict. Um, and it's just a really interesting, um, it's a really interesting story and you, you really sort of, uh, get a sense of the character and bond with this character. Um, and then weird shit starts happening. Um, which I absolutely love. Um, it's definitely not going to be for everyone. I was, I was sort of really anticipating stuff happening there's maybe one thing that happens like two chapters in um but really it leaves it all till sort of the end and really makes you want to pick up the second one which is called tricksters drift um which i will be reading next but yeah it was really really well written i really enjoyed it um if you like urban fantasy um this is for you um, and it is, like I said, a really a, a good read. Just not your typical sort of urban fantasy uh, read. And then at Christmas time, a friend of mine gave me the graphic novel six, 1602, which is where the Marvel characters... Wow, did not see... What? Didn't have this one on my bingo card. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, Marvel characters get dropped into the year 1602. Um context i this was neil gaiman's big yes. marvel debut which at the time was going to be like neil gaiman's trying to get the rights to miracle man back right the english superhero seminal english superhero work miracle man which was started by alan moore and then taken over by uh neil gaiman and pre-sandman pre-anything really yep. And was mired in the most labyrinthine copyright claims and and ownership right. rigmarole. And it was basically like Marvel Comics at the time was like, hey, Neil Gaiman, come do some work for us. Mm -hmm. We will set up an LLC and we will – whatever money you would get paid, we will put into it and we will help sort this out for you. Right. Um, and I think they're still <laughs> I think they're still trying to, although it was recently teased that Miracle Man is officially joining the MCU because we can't have nice things. Um But yes, this the sixteen oh two, that's all we knew at the time. Yeah. Neil Gaiman was writing this thing called sixteen oh two, which as Kate said, yes, was a a pre colonial like well, um, take on No, it was in it was in Europe or was it in America? It's, I can't in, it's set in England and Europe ish, sort of. Um and it, it's Elizabethan time period, um, so think Shakespeare. Um, With numerous analogs to 
classic Marvel characters. Yeah. Well, kind of. Scott Summers is Scotius Summer Isle. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's got Doctor Strange, and it's got the Fantastic Four, and it's got a bunch of the X-Men. Professor X is there. Um, his name is Carlos. Fuck, I haven't, re- I haven't read it in forever. I bought it as it was coming out, because it was like, new game in Marvel. Um, so I read it, but I can't remember a damn thing about it. Uh, I remember, well, remember Rojas, so that's what I remember. It's it's in my bag, if oh. you would like to borrow oh. it. Um, so, okay, I was finishing up on the train. Um, I'm sure at the time... It was really good. And I've definitely been spoiled by storytelling. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I always feel weird about criticizing the art because, like, I can't draw. So, uh, like... Oh, right. It's Andy Kubert, right? Uh, in, the, in that sort of... He had done this style first on, I think, uh, the, the Wolverine origin book mm-hmm. back in the day where it's very scratchy pencil-y looking it's, it's a little bit muddy and it's a little bit hard to like i could figure out eventually what the character is supposed to be doing mm. but there's a lot of like action scenes where it's like three panels right and like the second panel i'm like what what is going on <laughs> in the second panel um it sort of like seemed unneeded action if that makes any sense um and it wasn't terrible or anything i just thought i i again i'm sure at the time it was like oh this is so cool um and i do love reading older stuff because it gives me i like history right i like to see where things came from um and i like neil gaiman but again this is not his best storytelling work um i think having surprise having uh captain america steve rogers show up as a blonde uh indigenous man hey 2006 was crazy yo it's uh yeah it's a little it's a little weird but um but there were some cool story elements um the watcher of course was in was in the book as well or the watchers um, which I'd known of them. And of course I knew them from what yeah. if, um, but then I was like, Hey, it's the watcher. Um, so that was kind of neat. Uh, again, there was some time travel stuff there. Um, that was really fascinating. So yeah, it was an interesting read. And if you're into comic books at all and into Marvel and I would, I would definitely take a look at it, but maybe like borrow it from your library instead of buying it. It's definitely like, you know, it's the joke about like one for them, one for us type of thing. Like this was definitely a one for them book right. for Neil Gaiman. This was not something he, he, did you ever read his Eternals run? No. He did Eternals. Okay. But not, that was one of the, I think those were the two projects he was like, he signed up to do for Marvel when this whole deal was announced. And one was 1602, which was just like, yeah, it's a one for them. Yeah. It seems like a good idea. And they're like, yes, Neil Gaiman, we'll do whatever. <laughs> yes, whatever. You know, just rubber stamp anything <laughs> he yeah. wants to do. And Eternals was something he wanted to do, where it was this, like, forgotten batshit. What do we call it? What did I call it? 70s Kirby batshit hoopadoop or whatever. <laughs> Hoopajoop. Um, he was like, nobody knows about the Eternals. It's, I want to I redo that. And, you know what? It's, sorry, it's giving that, that sense of, like, the Adam Warlock, like, yeah. original runs of just, like, <laughs> we're going to do anything. So he has an Eternals run, which I did not finish, and I don't know. Now that I've seen the movie, I don't know how much uh, how much they play into each other, but... It's definitely, you don't want to say his heart wasn't in it. He's a professional, but I mean, it was yeah. not something I think he was doing it for a purpose, not because I think it was a story that was just bursting out inside him that he had to, right. that he had to get out type of thing. But Neil Gaiman is pizza, right? Bad Neil Gaiman is still yeah, good. Delicious. <laughs> it's delicious. <laughs> delicious. Um, friends, let's go with nothing, nothing. Is there anything new on my list? Not really. I don't think. 
Um, one new thing that I did watch um, was Controversy. Aziz Ansari has a very hot-shotted type of um, half hour on Netflix. Okay. Sort of these, like, it's called Nightclub Comedian. It's like he, um, as is often the case at revered uh, comedy venue, The Comedy Cellar, if you go, you may see the people announced on the bill that day, and someone might just show up because it's a venue where a lot of famous comics go to, quote-unquote, work out their material. Right. Um, one thing I always heard was, like, like, if you see, like, somebody like Chris Rock at the Comedy Cellar, it's not like seeing a Chris Rock at a concert because he's not putting the Chris Rock sauce on it. Right. You know? Chris Rock could read the phone book and it'd be funny. Yes. Because he's going to yell and repeat stuff and emphasize. But when you see him at someone like the Comedy Cellar, it's very kind of flat because he just wants to know the jokes work yeah. on their own. Mm-hmm. And then they get better when you... Salt Bay, we like that. My arm, my arm cracks because I'm old, y'all. <laughs> Salt Bay, that that Chris Rock sauce on it to make it even funnier. So watching Aziz Ansari in a similar situation where he just showed up unannounced, yeah, because um, he lives in London now, I guess. Sure. Um, you, y'all, we will recall um, Aziz Ansari had a had a uh, Me Too instance uh, a few years ago, and has that been canceled per se in what we call the classic sense of the term, I guess. Um, okay. Although, you know, he still, Master of None came back for a third season that he was not in. So, I mean, make of... Did not know that. Make of that what you will. Yeah, Lena Waithe was the... Oh. Who plays his best friend on the show. She yeah. was the uh, she was the focus of the third season. Um, so, it's very kind of flat. It doesn't have the, like, Aziz Ansari high-pitched <laughs> volume type thing that he normally, he normally does. And he is clearly entering his... Uh, every comedian at a point kind of hits the Bill Hicks era okay. of social commentary type thing. Ah. Like, we're on our phones too much. We fucked up the world. We care about the wrong things, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, which is true. But yeah. Do you want to watch Aziz Ansari uh, yell at you for, you know, half an hour about it? He makes too much money. <laughs> Although he did, he did uh, announce he's gone back to Team Flip. This is this is what he did for his mental health. Huh. <laughs> and that was the funny bit because he's uh, he pulls out the giant flip phone. Yeah. He's like, this is how I do this for my mental health now. This is no Instagram, no none of that shit. Um, he's like, and when I came here and I wanted to, you know, do this, I was outside in the alley, same alley I stood in when, and they show footage of him like the first time ever he did stand up at like 19 or whatever, oh, shit. um, at the comedy cellar. Right. He's like, and I pull, I pull out the phone. I text the manager. Cause I'm on T9. Right. So, <laughs> um, and that was funny, but I mean, contrast it. With Ali Wong, who has a new comedy special that came out on Valentine's Day called Don Wong. Right. And it's like, hey, I laughed during that. Uh. <laughs> it's cool to be like the social commentary type comedy, but I mean, that's my life. Like, yeah. Sometimes I want to watch Ali Wong spend 20 minutes talking about <laughs> getting cum on her face. <laughs> There's no nice way to say it, y'all. It's what the first 20 minutes is about. And I noticed this because I heard this once. I'm poking her. He's he's poking me. I heard this once about Eddie Murphy Delirious. Yeah. Which what made Delirious, the lesson of Delirious that co- comics took was if you look at the structure, he did all the raunchy shit first. Right. Eddie, 19 year old Eddie, whatever, comes out and does 25 minutes of the raunchiest shit first, which is normally what dudes would close with. Yeah. Because that's the easiest laugh. Yeah. The back half 
is all about his family. Yeah. And a barbecue. And Lego? Is that is this the Lego one? I don't no, that's that's the sec that's oh, uh, okay. that's in Raw. That's which raw. follows a similar format where he yeah. closes with the family stuff. Which normally you wouldn't do that. You start with the family stuff to warm them up and then you close with the raunchy stuff. And she really does the kind of the same thing where it's like like it's raunchy. If you got kids, don't be watching it. Don't think it's gonna be a chill hang with your kids because <laughs> you may have to have some conversations after. Um Can we just have Comedian. Oh right, they're British. I was about to say, can we have comedians that aren't quite as raunchy for no reason? And I was like, right, okay, it's British comedians. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> what, what happened to Man in Tiny Box? Can we just get Man in Tiny Box back? I don't know what that is, but it sounds delightful. It's that guy who was on the trip with Steve Coogan, right? Isn't that his thing? He makes his voice sound really low, like he's oh man in mm, a tiny man in a box. Yep. Where are you? I don't know where you are. As long as you get me out of here. Rob something, whatever his name is. Yeah, I can't remember right, it, right the second, but yes. <laughs> that, Delightful. That's, that's what Kate wants. <laughs> yeah. I um, want Eddie Izzard to talk to me about politics. That's what I want. <laughs> God. Uh, so that was one thing. What else is out there? Um, Kate mentioned a book. I'll mention a book. I'm about a quarter through the Dilla Time book um, about the life and innovations of producer Jay Dilla. It's good. But it's going to be a weird experience for me as someone who spent two years of my life obsessed with this dude to write a book of my own about him. The biographical stuff is very, very interesting. But there's a lot of other stuff that, like, it sounds rude, but, like, I already know. Well, because I've been you, obsessed with the dude for like two, you know, I was yes. obsessed with the dude for two years. So you, what you're saying is you can't give a good litmus test. Yeah. I'm not the, I'm not the guy to be like, if you know nothing about him, read it. Yeah. If you know a little bit about it, read it. Yeah. If you obsessed over him for two years and wrote a book about him, read it anyway. But <laughs> yeah. it's going to be, you know, your mileage may vary. Um, Love is Blind Japan. I'll cut up on that. Oh yeah. How has that been? Turns out. Yeah. When you're really polite. Yes. You don't necessarily say what you really want. Yeah. And that can lead to problems down the line when you have proposed to someone. No. Some of these have been tragic. Like there was one guy who was, he was quoted as a comedian and he was out the gate first. He was like, he proposed first. He was like, oh my God, you're the most wonderful woman in my life, et cetera, et cetera. And then they go to this resort in Okinawa for a few days. I didn't, I thought they stayed there the whole time. They don't. They get a little holiday for a few days. Yeah. And then they go back to like. They put them up in an apartment building, basically, to live together for a while. That's when the shit really falls out. Oh. Uh, so on the one hand, this comedian didn't even get to that point. Like, because his, <laughs> his fiance, she's like at a glass blowing thing. Or, like they go to some glass blowing, you know, glass blowing. That'll be fun type of thing. Yeah. And he like sits off to the side on his phone, dead silent, not saying anything. And she's like, like, like a parent waiting for his kid. And. She's like, huh. what, who is this guy? Right. <laughs> you are not who you were when you asked me to marry you. So it's a lot of stuff like that where, uh... where, first of all, it's probably true in the North American version, but I mean, the North American version as a whole is trashier In the Japanese version. The women are exponentially superior <laughs> to the men. I'm just going to, and also, sorry, just as I, I haven't even seen either of them, but I've just, this is how I feel about this. Not all intrigue, in, sorry, not all intrigue has to be sexual intrigue. Sometimes it's just relationship. Oh my God. Yeah. Stuff. Like sometimes it was as simple as like, <laughs> you're in the pod, you told the woman you wanted to have kids 
you get out. She's older than you. She's in her mid thirties. And she's like, I want to think about having kids in the next couple of years. Oh, I'm not ready. And she's like, why am I here? Fuck off. <laughs> and she leaves. Like yeah. it's stuff like that. Good for you, girl. Get it. But on the other hand, um, I think I mentioned last week, there was this couple where she was divorced and, um, you know, they played, it was like, Oh, she was divorced. And it's like, eh, get over it. And he was fine. Yeah. But he's the bad boy. He's not. He looks like a, he looks just like a, like a wet cattail in a marsh. Like it looks like a stiff breeze is going to knock him <laughs> over. He's, but he's got frosted tips and a goatee because he's a hairdresser. I was like, Oh, it's the bad boy. My, my father's not going to like that when it comes time to meet the parents. And he's been, it's the only time he's ever like flexed a little bit. Like yeah. they meet his friends and he, and they're like, well, would you color, color your hair? And he's like, no, this is a, I'm more than my hair color. Like it doesn't matter type of thing. Yeah. Um, but he can see how much it stresses her out and without warning and without even like, they don't even make a big scene out of it. Yeah. He just walks into the shop a few scenes later, black hair. Oh. He saw how, well, Ryotaro saw how hard it was on, it was being on her and talking about how, what a traditional type of stubborn man her father is. Although, here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Did you know you were going to get a breakdown? You didn't, but you, you, you're glad you came. Shots fired to, I think her name's Matomi. Matomi's dad. You want to spend like three episodes talking about what a hard-ass traditional man. I expected fucking you know, Toshio Mifune to come walking in there, <laughs> stone-faced, like just with a yukata on, just sitting down. Dude walks in with like to a restaurant, to a nice restaurant. With a straw pork pie hat on and sits down with it still on. And you're going to have a problem with his frosted tips? Fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get the fuck out of here. Come on. So two episodes left of that. Uh, well, we'll see uh, who makes it <laughs> Who makes it to the aisle. Oh, man. They basically, if I'm remembering the, the North American version in Japan, will play out the same way. They basically then just hold, like, rapid fire, like, ceremonies. Really? And we see up to the last minute, like... People might bounce right when it's time to say I do. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It's trash, but. <laughs> trash, but you love it. Uh, also on there, last thing I want to talk about. I don't talk about it every week, so I don't want you to hear about it every week. Y'all, motherfucking ranking of kings. We're going to take a break, and I'm going to tell Kate what she's been missing on this show. This is the only show where something will happen. It's the fastest 25 minutes of my week. Yeah. It flies by. When I watch it and this last episode, some shit happened and I went, what? And then laughed with glee at where they left me <laughs> at this cliffhanger. They left me on. I was Amazing. like ranking of Kings. Get the fuck over the art style. You know, you can't even, I don't like his mouth. I'm like, fuck off. All of you. Hey. It's fine. Yeah, you too. <laughs> he doesn't even care. It's amazing. Amazing show. If only they'd taken the time to do the art properly. He's good. Are they going to fucking redo? Is this, it's One Punch Man? They're going to like redo the entire art style based on what the manga is? That's how it's drawn, you lunatics. Like, <laughs> He's so angry. Because if you're going to throw out this like incredible storytelling because, yeah, I'm like, how it looks. Me. You know I'm going to make that voice anytime you complain about that and something I bring you going forward. I'm going to do the exact same voice. Just keep it. So I can, I'm going to tape it <laughs> off this episode so I can play it you, for you. You miss having us in the same room. Don't you <laughs> Friends, we're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about something I brought in this week. Recently Academy Award nominated for Man Quest Love. We're going to get into the Summer of Soul when we come back from this break.
everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is the half of the show where we talk about the thing we have brought each other. This week, Jordan, of course, has brought us a thing. But before we get into it, there's some rules. Mm-hmm. None of them really apply, but I'm going to go through them anyways. It's like a tradition. It gets us, it gets us set up. And we just have... OCD issues, and if we don't do them, and I'm like, oh, it was lacking, and like <laughs> I should have just done them anyways, and you know, you come here for comf, and this is sort of our our comf routine. Just holding out a blanket for you. Just wrap yourself in with these rules and policies, y'all. Please just burrito yourself in this blanket. <laughs> um, the first rule is the rule of three. That is, if the thing comes in parts, we will watch, read, consume three of those parts, so the thing gets a chance to become the thing it is trying to become. This was one thing to itself, so it was not in part, so it did not apply. The second rule is hashtag save it for the pod, which is we will not talk about the thing before we are sitting in front of these microphones, um, and we have not. He doesn't even know if I've watched it. Mm-mm. Now I'm just going to make up a bunch of stuff. You just know. Um, the third rule, which isn't really a rule, it's more of a policy, is that there will be spoilers. This is a documentary. You cannot spoil documentaries because often they take uh, a thing that people know about and talk about it. Um, but there may be some surprises, so hang on tight. Uh, Jordan, what did you bring? So uh, this is something because I follow the director on Instagram and have for a very long time. I knew this was coming. I knew this was a thing. I knew it was out. I knew when it hit Disney Plus, and I just hadn't hadn't really. I was like, ah, I'll get to it one day. And then it got nominated for an Oscar. And I was like, well, that's as good a time of any to delve into this. It's been sitting on Disney Plus this whole time. And that is Summer of Soul, parentheses, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. This is a 2021 American documentary film directed by Amir Questlove Thompson about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival. Film had its world premiere at the 2021 Sundance Festival uh, last January, where it won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award in the documentary categories. Uh, it debuted for streaming in the states on Hulu last year. It has received acclaim from critics with praise aimed at the footage restoration, and has won numerous accolades. Uh, blah blah blah. Six critics. Choice Documentary Awards, including Best Documentary Feature, also nominated for a Grammy Award for Best Music Film, and has been, as said, nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. The synopsis is real short, because we're not here for plot. No. The documentary examines the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which was held at Mount Morris Park, now Marcus Garvey Park, in Harlem, over six weeks, despite having a large attendance and performances, performers such as Stevie Wonder, Mahalia Jackson, Nina Simone, the staple singers, Gladys Knight, Sly and the Family Stone, and the Chambers Brothers, the festival was seen as obscure in pop culture, something that documentarians investigate. So that is what we are dealing with here. This is basically a music documentary or a piece of music history that was forgotten about. Mm -hmm. I recently saw a clip of Questlove on The Daily Show basically saying these the people who had the footage Mm -hmm. and wanted to bring it to him to do something with it was like... Do, have you ever heard of the Harlem Cultural Festival? And he was like, nah. Never never heard of it. Right. And it's like, okay, well, it was this thing that, like, tens of thousands of people attended every weekend yeah. for six weekends. And all these people played it. And we have hours and hours of footage of it that we found in a basement. And he was like, no, you don't. I would have known about this. What are you talking about? That's amazing. And that's the hook here. Right. That's what you're going in for. Now, this is a stunning thing to watch. Yes. I have some hairs I could split. Yep. Do you? Yeah, I do. Oh, she's amped up, y'all. Y'all, I think I think it's fair to say we both liked it, but... We've got quibbles. 
been a minute since we had some quibbles. Quibs. <laughs> what, what are your quibs, Katie Mac? You got some quibs? Oh, okay. I can go first. I have n- very rarely wanted to know so much more about a thing that a documentary did not the give me. Thing. So I <laughs> want to know. I want this to be a six-part documentary you, series. You gave the rule of three, and I almost jumped in on some. Like you're like, this wasn't. This didn't come in parts, and I was like, it probably should have. Yeah. <laughs> I and I also there is no very very little of the voice from Questlove. I wanted to know what Questlove felt about it. I wanted him I wanted more names of who was talking, the people who were giving their commentary. I wanted him to talk to more people who had been there, who had seen it, what they felt, what they why they think it was forgotten about. The like, most powerful portions of it, which I thought there would be more of. Yes were when he's playing the footage for the people who were there, 100%. whether they are audience members or performers. Like when, how do I want to say it? You can tell time was given the most to the people he could get. Yeah. So you had Billy Davis and Marilyn McCoo from the fifth dimension mm-hmm. for a long period. So you spent, what is probably a longer amount of time. You spend more time on them than Stevie Wonder. Yes. Because you had them there. And you know that that's uh, throwing that footage up for them to watch for the first time in 50 years. Mm-hmm. Which, it's it's not like it's not interesting. You're getting their story. Yeah. And as a vocal group who everybody thought was white. Yeah. Because they were saying, singing, quote unquote, white music. Yeah. And how they felt it was so important for them to be at this festival to perform for their people. Yeah. Um. And to watch them watching this footage and just tearing up. Yeah. Um, or even at the end with the one audience member who, who was a child well, at the time. This is what I mean. And that to me was the the moment like I super teared up when he said, I knew I wasn't crazy, but now I know. Yeah. Like I, I know I, we have proof that this happened. I didn't make it up as a childhood memory, right? Um, that it was as amazing. There were as many people. It was as as history-altering as it felt at the time. It, it really was. Um, and I just wanted more of that. And that's why it's so powerful. And this is also on when Questlove was talking on The Daily Show. Mentioning how, like, wow, it's just that easy to erase us. Yeah. Because happened the same year as Woodstock. Yeah. Which they don't lean into too hard, but I mean, like, Woodstock owned the narrative. Yeah. But you had this, the fact that it went off without a hitch for six weekends. Yeah. Each one themed. One was jazz. One was soul. One was gospel. Like, yeah. that many people with the Black Panthers as security. And it just, like, went off basically without a hitch. Yeah. Um, I could have had an entire episode about the Republican mayor of New York who signed off on it. Right. And him. I never heard of this dude before. And I was like, I know this guy's fucking dope. Like, yeah, people loved him. They're like, and he just, he was actually cared. And, and also <laughs> what did they call him? He, he was a hellified mayor for real. He was, <laughs> yeah. like, he was just down with the community. He, he supported the community and yeah. didn't, you know. When King got shot, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about how Martin Luther King was shot the year before and why yeah. this was. And honestly. And just all of the 60s. Man, that is a trash <laughs> fire of a decade. And how they um, they low-key mentioned that, like, you know, part of the festival might have been to, like, keep them from burning the city down. Because the year before, like the summer before, they'd had all those riots. Um, 
And if that's your plan, not a, Hey, we've said all the time, if you really want to invest in a community community, give them arts and give them. There's a fantastic book. I can't remember what it's called. It might just be called April 4th, whatever. Yeah. It's about the James Brown concert that was held in Boston, I think Boston or Philly, Mm -hmm. um, somewhere on the East coast, the night of, or after King was shot, right? where it was just like, he did that concert to, as a balm to the community, you know, this community right. in mourning to keep them from, and how like, you know, the white establishment was like, please do this concert. So yeah, let's not forget that part of it as well. But I mean, and it just talking about like putting the, the concert in, uh, in a historical reference was so interesting because they also talked about one of the weekends was the weekend where men landed on the moon. Right. Mm, yeah. And I love astronomy. <laughs> I threatened just a little while ago to bring back Astronomy <laughs> Corner, Hot Astronomy Minute. So you know I adore astronomy, but I have said for the longest time, if there are people starving in the world, just like maybe just put, put a pause <laughs> on going to Mars <laughs> like for trillions of dollars. I understand a bunch of stuff that investing in astronomy and research and exploration, how it's all important, blah, blah, blah. But as these people said, like to them, this concert was more important than going to the moon or, and uh, many of the people they interviewed, Walter Cronkite interviewed, Mm -hmm. uh, said, you know, okay, so they've spent all this money getting men to the moon, but there's families who are homeless. There are families who are starving. There's, such poverty in not just here but in like all of the united states many of them said that um and i just thought that just bit my sister nell and whitey's on the moon as (laughs) as gil scott once said i and i just i i i think that's a very true honest look at the situation um and i yeah it was it was so i just want there's so much i wanted to know more about I wanted to know more about the axe. I might have fallen down a sly in the family stone hole. Put a pin there. Because here's the thing. Here is the thing. I know I'm pretty sure Quest is doing his follow-up. It's a full sly documentary. Good. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Best band of the 60s, probably. Like every, yeah. I, have, I have fallen down my own sly in the family stone uh, holes before. See, right? look. The sound of the high five, and and um, also, and just uh, just because I need to talk about this moment right here, this is a very rare example where the Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> we always say places where our fandoms intersect. Sly and the Family Stone Sly is where the, the fandoms stone. intersect. Put on the board. Just even them just talking to audience members who like maybe had not been like what did what did the one guy say? <laughs> Me and my friends were suit and tie guys before that yes. that performance. We were not suit and tie guys when that performance was over. No. Um, and they had a white drummer. They did have a white drummer. Yeah. Sly and the Family Stone. First of all, sing a simple song goes harder than any funk song you will hear in your life ever. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite songs in the world. But just, I am always just watching OG. I mean, there were some lineup changes over the years, I think. But like OG lineup Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. The gender and racial parody of the band and what they were doing and everybody had a part to play and just and they could go like you watch them live like they could fucking go yeah fucking larry graham and sly stone in the same group um it's they're incredible and they make me so happy every time (laughs) i watch them play even the end just 
you could have just given me that whole performance. Yes. And they're walking off. And they're, and like, they're still singing. And like, people are still, you know, doing the, the cha- people who had never heard them before <laughs> were like, yes. Um, and it was lovely. And there's so many points actually where I did tear up. Um, but yeah, so I'm down this huge slide in the family stone, just like whole and like listening to a bunch of their stuff and a bunch of songs that I didn't realize were theirs. Or they- I'm like, Oh, this is another one of their <laughs> songs. Um, so yeah, and this is why I love documentaries, especially about subjects I don't know a lot about, right? They just, they reveal, they peel back so many layers of history. Um, and, but yeah, they just, there was not enough there. Um, but the footage, the remastered footage, apparently what, like, like it, it's beautiful, it look it, it looks so, so good. good. Um and, and even really- even to where like where they so they don't talk a lot about the actual like production of the concert. Which is one of the other things I wanted to know yeah, about. You, yeah, you're you're a process nerd and I am a little bit for stuff like this. So I mean even them talking to do they have was he a guy who was there? I can't remember, who was like, Yeah, we weren't gonna get lighting, so yeah, we had to put the stage facing west so we could use the sun. Yeah, and that's why it looks so because it's all just like blistering Sunlit. summer sun in New York summer sun. And like, I, like they talked about like we had to get a really good sound system, and I was like, okay, yeah. So how did that happen? Like, <laughs> I want to know about that. Um, so as like a conclusion, beautiful, but there's so much there I wanted to know about. Yeah, I oh. would. She got it. I got it. I got it. I, I, the footage. Who did they get the footage from? Why was it there? Like, I know that guy couldn't sell it, but how did it end up in that person's basement? <laughs> and, like, what was the process? And what was it like uncovering this amazing... And this... Yeah, okay. So this is this is something I meant to say 15 minutes ago. It's almost weird to call it a documentary because I expect a documentary to investigate something. And right. this really isn't. And that's, like, that's, that's a quibble, like we said. It's... Yeah. None of this is to downplay the achievement that's here. Yes. This is an incredible piece of archival material that deserves to be seen by everybody. But if you got questions, mm-hmm. you're not going to get them answered. You're here to... The decision was made to place you in the moments. Yes. Instead of explaining them, which is fine that's an approach that is fine mm-hmm. absolutely and powerful as said watching these people who were there and had that experience like erased because like that dude who was there as a kid could go up to before last year could go up to anybody and be like did you ever hear about the harlem cultural festival there's this thing i went to when i was a kid and there were like fifty thousand people there in marcus garvey park and they were like what are you talking about yeah no um so now that every everybody like literally everybody, this thing was on, I believe this thing was on like ABC in the States last night. Like it's had a, it's had a broadcast network, um, screening. Like that's a very powerful thing. But as we've been saying, if you are left with questions about if you're deep divers, which I am all the time and Caitlin is sometimes, (laughs) if you want a deep dive, you're going to have to be hitting up. The movie's not going to tell you a lot in that regard. And also, fastest two hours of my life like it did not feel like a two-hour documentary like, and we're not even like fucking nina simone was in this thing like we're not yeah. we haven't even talked about nina simone yet like and just like 
I, I mean, I, of course, I've heard Nina Simone. Like, I've listened to Nina Simone. But I've, I don't think I've ever seen her perform. And there's mm. lots of performances out there. But just... And just... Oh, there was also the mix of, like... Of, of music and speech and poetry. I have never... We talk... Caitlin and I have this vernacular that we use sometimes. It's an old quote from uh, <laughs> Detroit legend uh, DJ House Shoes. Knocking books off a table. Like, when you hear that... When you hear that whenever... Anything that gives you beat tight face... Yeah. That, that's, that's knock some books off a table music. The one time in this movie where that happened... Yo, I didn't know Mavis Staples could go like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mavis Staples let loose at some point in this, and I was like total beat. I was like knocking everything off the table. I was ready to table flip. I was like, I was getting wild in the club. I was like, and they do spend, you know, and shouts to, um, shouts and rest in peace to Greg Tate, who was one of the talking, one of the few talking heads in the movie who kind of contextualizes things. Right. Um, who speaks a lot about the role of like the gospel tradition in this and why that was important and why that was, you know, why there was an entire weekend dedicated to that. And I had heard people mention before the scene between Mavis Staples and Mahalia Jackson, um, being one of the like, you know, super important scenes because they're performing what was Martin Luther King's favorite song, favorite hymn. Um, I miss now being like, you know, six months to a year after he had been murdered. Um, and how, whether it was, physical emotional you don't really know but the Mahalia Jackson is feeling a little unwell yeah. and kind of says to and this is being commentated by Mavis Staples narrated by her chills um or what did she say you know Haley's not feeling too good yeah right now uh, so I'm gonna need your help with this and you know, Mavis Staples was basically a kid at this point yeah with like the icon of black gospel singing asking for the assist chills tearing up um, and then, you know, as she says, she does her bit, Mahalia Jackson comes in, sings a bit, and then hands the mic back. Yeah. She's like, that's... She liked what I was doing. She liked what I was doing. <laughs> that's how I knew. That's how I knew Sister Haley liked what I was doing. Um, yeah, so, and that's not a side that, in a concert film with you know, Stevie Wonder and Nina Simone and Sly and the Family Stone, yeah. to give that much time to the gospel element mm-hmm. was... Um, unexpected and something I had a, I had a good time with as well. And even just the shots of like the audience, the crowd, the, the kids in the tree, just like there's one scene. I don't, there's just one scene of a woman in the crowd. Just, I don't know who she was watching or what, what um, performer was on, but just the look on her face and the happiness and just like, yeah. The dancing, the just in awe that people had, right? Getting to see performers that they wouldn't get to see, you know, and all in this one spot, all in, as people kept on saying, like, in Harlem, in our neighborhood. We didn't get that, right? Yeah, and like Kate said, they're they're just these little snippets that you wish you had, you know, you get two minutes when you wish you could have had 20. Like, these women who are talking about, like, you know, my my mother wasn't going to let me go see some concert, so I had to go tell tell her I was going shopping, and then we just kind of walked down, because you could walk down. It was in a park three blocks from... Free for everyone. um, Also love love the segment on the New Yorican movement and the the South American Puerto Rican um, elements that were present in uh, East East Harlem, and how that was represented as well, like, just... The event itself was so important and incredible and having it, having this footage out there, you, you hope that at some point 
there will just be a, here's the show. Yeah. You know, here's the documentary to see if people are interested in this. And you hope at some point you will just get a limited series the, the Harlem, show. Just give me, give me the concert. Yeah. You don't even have to give me the talking heads or the series or anything yeah. like that. Just here's the show. Yeah. Cause the sounds good. The visuals are good. Just here's the performances. Yeah. Just give me the performances. That's and insane. even I can't remember. I'm sorry, I feel bad. I can't remember his name, but the guy who like put the whole thing together and who was like the uh, the MC. Um, I just thought he just Tony Lawrence was his name. Tony Lawrence. I don't even know about this guy. This guy was obviously very important. And like, well, hold on. Wikipedia has some things here that may answer some questions. We said, okay, some little, some little knowledge for, for everyone. As we, as we close the book on this, uh, at the request of festival organizer and host, Tony Lawrence, television producer, Hal Tolchin recorded about 40 hours of footage on videotape excerpts of which were originally broadcast on two one hour TV specials, uh, on CBS and ABC. The tapes were later placed in a basement where they were said to have sat for about 50 years unpublished. For several years, Tulchin attempted to interest broadcasters in the recordings with little success, though some of the footage of Nina Simone was eventually used in documentaries. In 2004, a film archivist discovered the existence of the footage and contacted Tulchin. He digitized and cataloged the footage in the hope of working on a film about the event. So this is 2006. It's been like 15 years they were trying to get this, get this going. Um... Director Thompson expressed surprise the footage sat for so long as music had a large impact on his life and development, stating, quote, what would have happened if this was allowed a seat at the table? How much of a difference would that have made in my life? That was the moment that extinguished any doubt I had that I could do this. So there you go. There we go. Y'all, it's just sitting on your Disney Plus. Yeah. For, <laughs> for whatever <laughs> your dad or your brother is paying for their, <laughs> for their Disney Plus subscription. Um. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. Um, it's a nine for me. Like, just. I think it's an eight for me because I, oh, I needed him to give me more. <laughs> I needed more. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's it's rare when any of the criticisms are, are just. I wanted more. Yeah. I <laughs> and wanted... this is coming from us. This is coming from the uh, you know. <laughs> I want I want hundred minute movies and uh, half hour TV shows. But I, after I, two hours, I was like, you could have gone for another five and I would have been yeah. cool. Yes. So, yeah. But, I mean, not that he needs me to say it, but, like, well done. Well, we'll, we'll see. This may, be, this may be Oscar winning in a couple months, but we will see about that. Um, yeah. A little atypical from the nerdy stuff we talk about sometimes. But Is it, though? Is it, though? <laughs> is it, though? <laughs> Well, friends, we are just about on the dot. Kate's got to go get some culture around here. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so we're going to wrap it up here. If you check out Summer of Soul and have your own thoughts, let us know on Twitter.com slash GeekdownPod. We would love to hear them. Other than that, I believe we'll put a pin in it here, y'all. Thank you so much for spending an hour and change with us every week. Truly means the world to us. My name is Jordan Ferguson. My name is Caitlin McKinnon. The theme song is by Rob Gasser. And I hope you will join us next week for another amazing episode of the Geekdown Podcast. are getting worse and <laughs> like there's glare you have like four pairs of glasses on like <laughs> <laughs>
it's just like a four pairs of glasses with cardigans, or I have like the glasses on the chain. Extra power. With glasses and glasses on my head. <laughs> I did have a moment the other day where I now have two sets of glasses. Of course you do. And I had to leave one set at work because I kept on getting confused <laughs> about just having too many pairs of glasses in the house. Yeah. My glasses. My glasses. All right, creaks a lot. Let's get you <laughs> firmly on my head here. You need a new computer, a new tablet, Stop. new headphones. Stop. 